everybody, and welcome to NBA PTF, where we discuss the NBA's biggest headlines, news, games, players, past and present. On this episode, we talked about Chris Tapp's Porzingis' future in the league, as well as Jason Kidd's coaching career and what may be up next for him. Be sure to check out the Facebook and Instagram page at NBA PTF for more polls, trivia, and facts. And for days that we go live, so you can chime on in. Thanks, and enjoy the show. and get started. I uh, appreciate you guys uh, coming in and helping me talk about some of this stuff. I uh, wanted to start off tonight talking about the future of Chris Tapp's Porzingis and what his future looks like going forward with or without Dallas and try and get maybe your perspective on what they can or can't do or what they should or shouldn't do. So I want to go back first to that initial trade from New York where the Knicks traded uh, uh, Porzingis, Trey Burke, Tim Jr., Courtney Lee, uh, and uh, for DeAndre Jordan, Wesley Matthews, Dennis Smith Jr., and two first-round picks. Now, nobody that was traded to the Knicks is even on that team anymore. We'll see what those two first-round picks, one coming this year and one in 23, do. Um, It's hard to discount what Trey Burke or Tim Hardaway Jr., has done uh, for Dallas, but they're going to have some big questions coming up, especially with Tim Hardaway Jr. becoming a free agent. So I guess my first question that I'll ask, and I will uh, go to Thad first here. Uh, Thad, do you think that Chris Stats Porzingis was uh, or is still in the future plans of the Dallas Mavericks? Um, just want to say hey to everybody in the room first. Uh, I honestly think Chris Stops is being traded this offseason. Um, I think the future of the Mavs is Luka. They're going to build around him. Um, if you look at Chris Stops' playoff uh, performance this season, <clears throat> he was down 10 points and four rebounds um, in his series versus the Clippers. Uh, I don't know why I team chemistry, maybe, maybe coaching. I, I just don't see him in the future of the Mavericks organization. I think they, they trade him, maybe free up some cap room. Um, and then get another guy in there. Uh, do you think they go after Tim Hardaway in the offseason? Do you think they keep him, or do you think they're just going to keep the cap rope open and try and form, find more specific pieces? I honestly think they go for more specific pieces for Luka. I mean, they just said Luka could get the first 200 mil plus uh, rookie contract extension, and I think that is their goal as to whatever Luka wants or needs is what they're going to go after. So. Tim Hardaway Jr., I, if Luka wants him, they're going to keep him. If he doesn't, he's gone. All right. Uh, the big issue here is the contract especially. we got $101.5 million owed to Chris Stapps over the next three years, and that last year is a player option. So it's going to be hard to uh, find somebody who's going to want that 
contract unless they are, you know, I don't know. It's, it's hard. He did not seem to be that second star like uh, Dallas really needed him to be. And kind of after his comments after game seven, you know, he called it a mental battle to play this role. Um, he feels more like he's uh, a second, you know, player. He's not really a co-star with Luca. Um any of you guys, Tyler, Garrett, have any ideas on what the Mavs should do? Or do you think there's even a team out there that has the cap or the assets to trade for Porzingis? And if so, do you think Dallas will just take whatever they can get? Coming from a Knicks fan um, and knowing his history, to me, Porzingis is like a, a sports car. On the outside, it looks really nice and stuff, but then he's broken down. I think he's missed close to 200 games in his career, including the whole season with an ACL. So to pay somebody that is basically out of the lineup, you know, regularly, I don't see $100 million, you know, being attractive. Um, there's no doubt, you know, he, he's skilled and stuff, but if you're not on the court, then then you're not worth the money. And I think a lot of the things that he does is – just to like not as good as Luca, you know, we see Luca shooting the threes and getting in the paint and, and he's kind of wore down all season where in the playoffs, like Thad said, his production dropped dramatically and, and he's just not a guy that you can ride, you know, like some of the other superstars. So I don't see another team being interested in, in that big contract. Okay. Tyler. I was going to say, I don't know how long Al Horford's contract is, but my thought is maybe he could get traded to the Thunder for a few of those picks, and it's a win-win situation. Al Horford can at least be on the floor, even if he's not great or anything. It's not like Kristaps is very good. And he can uh, be the man, or I guess kind of the man. I don't know if they'd run through him or Shea in OKC, but KP could actually get the ball a little more like how he wants to instead of how they're doing it in uh, Dallas. Yeah, Al Horford's not um, a bad idea. I mean, he's got uh, two years compared to uh, Lucas three, assuming he picked up that option. And um, Dallas would save close to $10, 11000000 million. Um, we got four years or two years, about $52, million, $53 million left on Horford's deal, and that is guaranteed money. There's no options there. So, yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, dump Chris Stapps to the Thunder. Uh, maybe get a pick or two out of that, and you just deal with Horford. Probably, probably more like two because they're giving up a, a potentially good player. Right, and, you know, I don't have a ton of – or any inside really on what people are thinking, but I don't know what uh, the league's view on Chris Stapp's potential is still. Um, do you guys think that uh, Tyler, I'll start with you first, but do you think that Chris Stapp still has that high up potential that we are seeing just three? I mean, I think it's still there. Kevin Durant came back from a ACL tear. I mean, or, Achilles here, right? Whichever one it was. Yeah, good point. Um, I think I think there's still a chance. I know he looked really, really bad, but I mean, people have come back from crazy stuff. 
you know? Yeah, good point. Uh, Thad, let's go back to uh, you real quick. What do you think of that Horford idea? I think at this point, any way the Mavs can free up some cap room um, is going to be good. All right, I'm looking at the – go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, as far as the Durant um, example, Durant was kind of a proven guy, and Porzingis has been a lot of, you know, potential-based. Not that he hasn't had good seasons, but he hasn't had that breakout. So, for me, it's just – it's a risk to spend that kind of money for a guy that could potentially break out, you know, but he has the injury history. Just one of my two – Yeah. Um, we got a guy in the chat that's saying potentially John Wall and Christian Wood for Chris Stapps and pieces. I think Dallas could potentially be thrilled to have Christian Wood, especially. Um, one other thing I'm looking at right now, I'm looking at Dallas's salary cap for next season. Um, they got a few guys, Collie Stein, Jalen Brunson are both on non-guaranteed deals. So Dallas would decline their options on that. I do not see them declining a $1.8 million on Jalen Brunson because that dude showed up out of nowhere to be a fantastic guy off the bench. Collie Stein, if you can get him cheap, I'm sure they'd like to have him back. The big issue, a glaring issue I see besides Chris Depp's massive deal is Josh Richardson, who is absolutely nowhere in this playoffs, is going to make over $11.5 million dollars uh, next year if he accepts his player deal, which I don't know if Josh Richardson is in a place in the league to be declining an $11.5 million uh, option. Um, so it's looking like they're going to have roughly, you know, depending on Richardson's option, his team options on Simon Brunson, they're going to have somewhere between $17, 20000000 million to fill out, you know, four, five, six roster spots. So pick from the Knicks is going to help obviously um, but they don't have a ton of money to be trying to find guys um, if there's one guy let's say everything stays the same Richardson stays I don't trade Chris Stapps what's one move that Dallas needs to make to stay in contention I don't know about specific moves, but I know if they could free up some cap that I think a lot of people would love to play with Luca. Um, for whatever reason, Dallas has had trouble getting the stars. You remember with the DeAndre Jordan coming there and then backing out. I think Luca, different from Dirk, you know, he's a facilitator also that if they could get the cap, I think a star could be landed that they didn't have in the past. Yeah, I agree. Um, I feel like, especially at 22 years old, I mean, if that dude does not get hurt. I mean, we're looking at one of the best to ever play in the NBA. I mean, this dude's 22 years old and playing like the prime of anybody's highest dreams of a career they could have in the league. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, like I said, it's going to be hard for Dallas to find anybody um, to want that contract. I think ESPN even reported that uh, – executives and scouts around the league view Chris Stapp's contract, the quote was, as an albatross. So um, I just think it's going to be hard. You're going to want to find somebody. I think they're going to have to take a hit, unfortunately. I think they're going to have to find somebody 
like an Al Horford or somebody that's getting paid a massive amount of money just to make the salary caps match more than them trying to get the best available deal. All right, anybody got any uh, more input on Chris Stapps' future in the league? If not, we'll move on. Uh, go ahead, Tyler. You got anything? Well, I was just going to say he had a lot of great time with the Knicks. Like, I really think there's still a potential for him to be something. I just really think he needs to work on it. He, he didn't play ball for, what, a year and a half? He probably lost it a little bit, I would assume. That's probably why he's not playing up the par. I mean, that was all I was thinking. That's all I wanted to add. Oh, and also, I thought another point about the Al Horford thing. Even if Al Horford wasn't good, he could be some veteran leadership for that locker room, like he was for us when he came to the Celtics. But yeah, that was. Yeah, that's that's a good point too. Um, Dallas is. I have a lot of older uh, guys. Let's see. Look at their roster right now. The only guy. Uh, they have one guy that's thirty on their roster next season. That's Dwight Powell, and he's thirty. Um, so. I don't. I'm trying to get the list real quick. Chris Depps, Richardson, Powell, Doncic, Claver, Collie Stein, Finney Smith, Burke, Green, Brunson, Terry. That is absolute zero postseason experience other than the last couple of years that they've been there. So you know, a couple of first round exits. So yeah, veteran leadership's not going to be bad. All Holford on those Hawks teams. He's no scrub. You know, all star. So yeah. Um, it's not, yeah. Even if the potential is still there, which it very well could be. I mean, Dallas could get rid of Chris Stapps, and then we'll be sitting here talking a couple of years from now that Dallas made the wrong move to get rid of Chris Stapps. But it's uh, going to be hard for sure. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, move on. And if you guys that are down in the room want to, you know, chime in, go ahead. But we're going to move on to uh, the future, another future here of. Jason Kidd's coaching future in the NBA. Um, now, I know that this is going to be um, – I don't know how to how to go about this here. Um, kind of seen that Jason Kidd would have taken any opportunity to uh, get a coaching job uh, that he could, but – here comes Damian Lillard saying, I don't care who or what's going on. I just want Jason Kidd to be the coach. And then we have Jason Kidd coming out almost immediately saying, no, I don't want that to happen. And Thad, I know you got some comments on that, so go ahead. I, I just don't understand that. I mean, we saw what Dame did in that last game. Like, he's just an incredible player to build a team around why would you not want to go over there and coach that team um i don't know if jason kidd thinks he's just gonna have more success on the eastern conference um but he didn't really do anything with the bucks for four years maybe he's been in talks with the celtics already and they're gonna offer him a crazy contract or something who knows but when i saw that dame reached out and was like hey I want you as a coach. Like to me, that would be like what Dame's probably one of the top five players in the NBA. I would say, why would you not want to go and be his coach and try to win a ship with him? 
Yeah, I, I agree 100%, um, unless he knows something that we don't. But I feel like, you know, if Jason Kidd's worried that Dan's going to leave right after he gets there, you know, after a year or two of bad luck, I have, you know, I feel like if he's coming out saying, hey, I want you, why would he then turn around and say, hey, I'm done? Which might happen. I mean, you never know. Plus, I mean, Dame's shown loyalty to the Blazers. Getting Jason Kidd could lead to more stars going to the Blazers and potentially having a championship run. Now they're going to get some coach that he doesn't want, so I could see him leaving as soon as his contract's done, maybe heading to the Knicks. Um, they have a ton of cap room um, or some other Eastern Conference team. We all know the Eastern Conference is a heck of a lot easier than the Western Conference, um, at least in the past years right now. I mean, the Nets are looking crazy, and the Sixers are looking good, either, even though they lost to the Hawks that first game versus the – in that series. I think, uh, in my opinion, it's a combination of Lillard being uneasy there and also Kidd's experience with the Bucks having Giannis as a star – and saw that that small market is still so hard to attract other stars that, you know, if he does go to Portland, you know, I mean, that would make Dame happy, but at the same time, Dame needs players with him. And, you know, Portland's not that bustling market like like Boston is and all the success they've had. So I think Boston has a more complete team. I mean, Portland was relying on Carmelo basically to be a spark at his advanced age. Um, they just they just didn't have the pieces, and I I think Jason's a little afraid to go there and you know be stuck in the same situation Terry Stotts was basically piecing together you know a roster you know McCollum's a good player etc. But they didn't really attract anybody to go play with Dame. Um, at, and in Boston, you know you have a little more more freedom, especially with Tatum, this good young player with the big market. So I think Kid didn't want to get burned by that either a Dame leaving or b game frustrated not being able to get people yeah that's those are definitely good points um you know and uh jason kidd even said or i think woge reported that he talked to kid that morning after dame said he was um you know wanting him as a coach that he was turning it down specifically because damian Lillard came out and said hey i want him to be a coach our coach he said he didn't want it to be an awkward situation um, I don't see how it is any how it would have been any awkward how it would have been awkward at all for Jason Kidd to accept the job. I think it's more awkward. It's going to be more awkward now for any coach to come in and say, "Well, Dame wanted Jason Kidd, not me." You know, I don't see how it's awkward for Kidd. Um, and you know, and I think it's worse for Dame now. Uh, but one uh, conspiracy, I guess you can call it conspiracy theory that I did read today about this is the possibility of him holding out for the Lakers job. Because if in case you guys didn't know or don't remember the way he got the Milwaukee Bucks job in the first place was he became friends with one of the owners and behind the Larry Drew's back interviewed for that job and they fired Larry Drew without any prior information that they are going to fire him to hire him. And it's even been noted lately, even that Vogel and kid joke about 
you know, Jason Kidd backstabbing him. It's literally been talked about between the two of them. Do you think that's a possibility that Jason Kidd is once again sneaking behind somebody's back and trying to get that job from Vogel after a first round exit? I don't know if I'd call it sneaking if even Vogel's talking about it. But, I mean, they are coming off a championship season last year. Um, Obviously, the first round loss to the Suns did not help Vogel any. But, I mean, it wasn't his fault. Davis was hurt. Um, I think they probably could have won that series if Davis wouldn't have been healthy. Um, I don't know. I mean, I could definitely see that happening. I honestly think kids going Eastern Conference again. Um, and like Garrett said, that bigger Boston market where he can attract more players. And now they have a new GM of basketball and Brad Stevens. Um, I think they can get a lot of stars there if they can just get a, the cap. I don't know if this is a biased Celtics fan take because I am a homegrown Celtics fan. But I think the job for the Celtics is a lot more appealing than the job for Yeah, for sure. I think you you guys are all right on that uh, point of it. And it could be, you know, like what Garrett said, he, he doesn't want to get burned. He doesn't want to go to Portland and then nobody want to go there and play. And then he's stuck there. And um, But a lot of the uh, – I guess what we should talk about next is, is Jason Kidd a good coach? Is that somebody that – you would want, and I will ask your opinion on that first before we start getting the numbers. Is Jason Kidd, do you think a good coach or could still be a good coach in the NBA? Garrett? Uh, well, real quick first about the Lakers. I don't even know if you know, it would be behind the back. I think LeBron has such a pull that if he came to yeah. the Genie Bus and, and those cup check and those guys and said, hey, I want Jason Kidd, Vogel would be on the next plane out. So I don't know about that. And then to answer your next question, we see it with Steve Nash, you know, getting hardened and and those guys. It's such a – it's not an X's and O's coached league. It's almost more of a relationship coached league. And I, I think Jason Kidd is respected and uh, has a lot of connections. So if you can coach a little bit and you can attract the big guys, I think, you know, you got a good shot at being – And you think that um, Jason Kidd – is that is that is good enough for at least that? I I would think so. I mean, I sounds like he's a well respected guy around the league. I mean, think of Steve Nash, you know, getting Harden and those guys. Obviously, I, you know, I don't know if he's an X's and O's guy, or you know, he's just a relationship guy. I think in the NBA, you know, you got look at the Nets. They got two guys that can score thirty every night, you know, and a good point guard. I don't know how good of an X's and O's coach you have to be. We just say, "Hey, go, go." Is that more mass, he... or do you think that's more like the players' relationship to other players? Like, I mean, obviously, KD and Harden played together with the Thunder. I, like, that I, I think it's a combination, though. I think it's definitely so you a combination. That... If Kevin Durant was there and, and said the coach was miserable, I don't think a he would want to even stay there, and Harden would be interested. Um, what do you guys think the reasoning is behind uh, kids' lack of offers for a coaching job? I mean, I have some um, stuff here that you know seems to be the reasonings, but I kind of wanted to hear your guys' reasonings first before 
or what you guys think the reasoning is before I get into what's been reported. I mean, we saw what he could do with the Bucks. I mean, they had Giannis, who's top two player in the NBA. Um, went to the playoffs, what, three, four times with them. Um, had above 500 season three times, but he averages less than 500 a season when loss. So I I think he's just mediocre, but he's such a big name in basketball because he was a good player. And I think teams like that because they think they can draw other players to that team. So as long as they have a big market, I think KD could be – or not KD, uh, Jason Kidd could be successful. But we've seen – the Bucks, small market. Now he's an assistant in LA, and they're successful. I mean, they're kind of injured this year. Um, but I think if he goes and coaches Boston, that they could win a ring within the next, I don't know, two, three years, depending on their cap room and who they can pick up in the free agency, just by the sole fact that Jason Kidd will be the coach and players will want to play for him. Just count kind of like Garrett was saying with Nash. Okay. There's a lot of there's a lot of rumors about Kemba or Lillard. I feel like that's what had to be pretty solid uh package deal there. Um but I also believe that if uh Dame's not happy, they're Portland's gonna be in a situation uh where they're gonna have to take what they can get. So yeah, maybe. Right. I definitely think Kemba's gone this offseason. I don't think he's a Celtic next year. Yes, he absolutely is. They're, they immediately started shopping him within the last, the last, uh, last week, I'd say. I saw it on my phone. Like They started shopping him almost as soon as we were knocked out. Okay. Uh, Dan, you got any input on this? Testing. Can you even hear me? Or do I yep, push, you're good. Push nope, this? you're good. Okay, okay. All right. So I was just thinking, um, like, Damien's probably, he's, he's what, 30? He's about in his prime of his career. So the last free agent, I couldn't even think of a free agent signing in Portland that they'd be getting. I think Jason Kidd getting there would be the biggest free agent signing that they've had since Lillard has been there that I can think of. I mean... He just needs some help other than what they can get by the draft, really. I mean, he's he, – I don't know how much longer, to be honest, he's going to be able to do what he's doing right now. He's probably in the prime, and uh, he just needs some help, and that's tough at Portland. So I don't know if he's going to stick with them or not if he can't get any help, really. That's just my opinion. That is a good point. Um, Dame is one large contract away from it potentially being his last big contract. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm trying to look up Portland's uh, cap space here real quick for next season just to kind of see uh, what they're working with. Uh, Dave, while you do that, um, I'm just going to touch base on McCollum. I'm seeing a yeah. lot of uh, articles and uh, tweets um, and discussion about McCollum getting traded this offseason to free up some cap room. Um, And I saw the lead uh, place for him is the Cavaliers. Um, What are your thoughts? Who do you think? Is is there any talk about who uh, they'd get from Cleveland? 
just who do they think or what what you think about uh, them getting rid of McCollum? Because obviously he's the second best player on that team. Um, how do you think Dan would react? Uh, do you think it's a bit good move, bad move? Um, I just just an other side topic. Yeah, it, it, that's that's a that's hard because I think. I think it really depends on what Dame's talk within the organization is. I mean, that's hard to have to get rid of McCollum when there's not really anybody else on that team that can score. So I'm looking at next year's – I mean, uh, if they could somehow swing a trade for Colin Sexton with McCollum, that gives at least some scoring um, back and youth. Um, but I don't know how set – uh, Cleveland is on him. So next year, Dame's looking close to forty-four million. McCollum's at almost thirty-one million. They got Covington on contract for another twelve or thirteen. Nurkic at twelve. Norman Powell has a player option for eleven and a half. So I'm assuming he picks that up. They're paying Derek Jones close to ten million dollars next year. Then they have Simons, Nasir Little, and C.J. Ellaby. Um, and after that, they only have three guys under contract, that being Lillard, McCollum, and Little. So I'm thinking if Lillard can hold out, that leaves them nearly, which that's the year Lucas plus signed his max. They're looking at close to $80 million in cap space in two years. So I guess there is a chance. I don't know who's, who are becoming the free agents in 22, 23, but $80 million can get you some players. So... I don't know. I saw there were rumors about uh, Carl Anthony Towns uh, possibly going to Portland. Yeah, I mean, I would. I think Towns wants out of that situation because apparently, no matter who you put in Minnesota, they're not going to win. And uh, that would definitely, I think, make Dame happy. But Dame also wanted Draymond Green and then called him an uh, uh, MFer on Twitter like the next day. So. Who knows? I just got an update that Daryl Morey of the Sixers did, in fact, get fined seventy-five grand for tweeting about Steph. So that's two big fines for Daryl Morey on Twitter. But uh, kind of got off topic real quick. I want to go back uh, to Jason Kidd and his reasonings for not being a coach. Um, here are the reported reasons for him not becoming a coach, and they're all off-court issues. And I'll get to his on-court stuff here in a second. But just to go uh, back, 2001, he pled guilty to domestic violence when he was he spit food at his wife. Uh, in 2012, he had a DUI, which uh, was one of the main reasons, I guess, that he wasn't getting a lot of job offers uh, when he came out. And I guess I didn't, I don't remember this specifically, but I have written down here that uh, Lakers were criticized for ignoring the fact of that when he was hired. He's also the highest paid assistant in the league. So do you guys see those issues being a reason uh, that he hasn't been looked at? In all honesty, it probably doesn't even matter. Uh, I mean, with all professional sports, really, if you just win, it doesn't matter. You seem to be forgiven for whatever you do off the court, typically, unless it's really bad. I mean, but... Really, it just comes down to winning. If he was better at coaching then, and he got a couple wins with Milwaukee, then he'd have a lot more offers, Dave. That's just my opinion. 
Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I honestly don't even remember the domestic violence thing until it got brought up in this most recent thing. And that's because he was still doing his thing in the finals around that time period. I'll tell you what, I was just going to say another thing to keep in mind as far as winning. It's basically been whatever team LeBron's on and the Warriors for the last how many years, you know. So it's basically 28 teams, you know, can be scrutinized for not winning when you take a step back. You know, was Jason Kidd a bad coach? I, you know, he falls into the category of twenty some other teams, so that's kind of a hard one to. Yeah, I think his, his uh first big knock on uh, his coaching resume was probably that first year, which we later found out didn't matter. But his first year was that year Brooklyn got KG and Pierce and Johnson, and obviously he wins forty four games with that, which was down from five wins the year before without those guys, which, you know, we did find out, you know, obviously afterwards that that team wasn't going to win no matter who the coach was. Um, They get rid of Jason Kidd uh, because he tries to go over everybody's head and get more power over the GM. And the quote was, the Russians are done. And they wanted Jason Kidd fired because he was just trying too hard to take over more and more operations from the other officials of the team. And that was one of the reasons he went to, wanted to go to Milwaukee was he, was going to possibly become president as well as coach of that team. Um, obviously, Brooklyn trades uh, Jason Kidd's coaching rights to the Bucks for two second-round picks, which ended up becoming Connaughton and Schofield. And Brooklyn immediately goes down from 44 wins to 38 wins. And in Jason Kidd's first year as coach in Milwaukee, he took over a 15-67 and 67 Milwaukee Bucks team. And took him to forty-one and forty-one, and was third place in coach of the uh, year voting. Now the problem is, is that they got almost no better. Actually, got worse the next year. He goes twenty-three and twenty-two in two thousand eighteen before he gets fired. And that very next year, they go sixty and twenty-two with Bud. So he's done some good things. He's done some bad things. You guys have anything specific on that? That Nets team was basically a nursing home at that point. So, right, right. I mean, that's a tough one. You see the big names, but they were all at the end of their careers. And and then with the Bucks, yeah, you have Giannis, but I mean, he was a very young player then. And honestly, Budenholzer has a better team. I mean, look at Lopez has been a great player for him um, on down the list, Middleton, etc. So, I don't know when you really look at the. The rosters, it's you got to think back at, to the time, you know, five years, whatever, however many years, and we think of what the players are now, but they they were obviously much younger, and it was a different team. Yeah, definitely. Um, I still think that glaring thing on his resume, though, is going to be that he goes twenty three and twenty two, you know, playing another year of five hundred basketball at the Bucks. Let's see, first year five hundred. 40, 51, and 51% before he gets fired, and then they immediately go 16, 22. Now, maybe, I mean, I, I I know it wasn't that long ago. My memory's terrible, but you think Giannis really jumped that far ahead from one year to the next, going from a 500 team to a 16 and 22 win team? Um, I think that kind of hurts Jason Kidroidermay knowing that he had a team and someone else came in and completely turned him around. But hey, 
maybe Budenholzer's respect is way up there and he is that good of a coach. You know, it, it's hard. I know it. Um, I don't know what I would do, honestly, in that situation. But I like, like uh, Danny said, you win, you're in. And as long as he can get a team to a championship or relevant with like with Boston or maybe he wants to go to Orlando or stay in L.A. and wait Vogel out. Um, but, yeah. Thad, you got anything to add on that? Uh, no. All right, I want to go through – oh, Dan. Dan, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, if I remember right, that was right. I mean, I don't know if it's Budenholzer or the fact that, you know, Jason Kidd left, but they got a lot better after that. They were a pretty young team, and Giannis is coming into his own. He's stepped up. Like, it, I'm, I would have to say it would have to be a little bit maybe that he wasn't one wasn't happy with Kidd and how they weren't doing very well, but he took it up to the next level and – to that MVP level as soon as Budenholzer came in. I mean, he just was light years ahead. I don't know if it's Jason Kidd. He, I mean, it doesn't look like I'm just looking at his record right now. He's had a lot of opportunity, but I don't know, really. It's, uh, it's tough. The uh, last two years of Kidd's tenure, Giannis was an all-star both years, um, but obviously he went from 27 and 10 to 28 and 13 that next year. So, yeah, his numbers did go up. I'm looking at his field goal percentage here. Yeah, he went 52% to almost 60% um, in less minutes, too. So, yeah, it could be that the Bucks. I know in kids' uh, last year, Giannis took that jump up. So, it's kind of unfair to say Kid had a good run. Not that Giannis was bad, but I think he jumped five, six points in Kid's last year. And and we see the growth curve for all NBA players. I mean, look at this year, Julius Randle, big jump in points and stuff. But you know, they weren't they're not ready to win quite yet. And I think the same thing for Giannis because you know, I think he was like twenty two points and then twenty six, and you know, started winning MVPs. It just takes time, I think, for the stars to develop, and Kid had Giannis. Yeah, that's a good point. And to that point, do you think NBA teams maybe need to be a little more patient when it comes to that? I mean, I know they get Kid, what, one, two, three, four years. Um, but same thing happened with Mark Jackson. I mean, Mark Jackson literally was a year away. He won, what, 50 games, and then they say, see you later, and then they win 66 with Steve Curry his first year. Those are just a couple examples, but do you think we need to be more patient with coaches in the NBA, or what do you what do you think? I think it's hard to be patient when you have teams. Uh, just looking back, how it was it was the Lakers and the Celtics, and then now it's been LeBron and the Warriors. Like, if you don't see results within the first two years, I think teams get impatient because they see what other teams are doing and now they're successful so why can't we do that right now we're giving you basically unlimited resources to win but you're not doing what that guy's doing over there so i just think that because we have these super teams now we're all these superstars um they're just not giving them the time that they need but also you're wasting money if you're not winning so 
I see both. Yeah, for I, sure. I hate to yeah. say it, but but the NBA is so market based that I think you have to look at each situation. A team like Milwaukee, you need to give a guy more time, in my opinion, because you're relying on the draft and developing players instead of you know the Lakers, where year to year they can sign you know many big names or whatever. And that's just the state of NBA basketball. I mean, it's all about markets. It's all about superstars teaming up and these smaller markets, you really have to hope you hit in the draft and then are able to keep keep a guy. I mean, look at Portland with Dane. They've been able to keep him for as long as they have, which in this NBA, you know, is really rare. That really says something about Dame. Oh, yeah. And yeah, he's no doubt about it. Now, in Portland's situation, Terry Stotts, he had plenty of, of opportunities, you know, and it's time to move on, but and and I think Portland should be applauded. They gave him ample opportunities. You know, you get if you draft Dame and you give a guy two years, well, you know, he's just now developing and stuff. Then you bring in a new coach, new system. You know, players are learning it. That's a learning curve. Like, I think it's so market based, unfortunately, that you have to have to look at each situation and maybe they get a little. Yeah, and the NBA is one thousand percent a market based league, and if that wasn't as prevalent as it was this year. I don't know what the next factor is going to be. I mean, we got Blake Griffin taking a minimum to go to Brooklyn, and we had LaMarcus before his, you know, health stuff taking a minimum to go to Brooklyn. They're not going to take the minimum to come to Indy. They're not going to take the minimum to go to Portland. Um, So, yeah, it's 100% where you are that matters. You got to look at like a Jerry Sloan situation where he coached for all those years and had success, you know, they really built, built that franchise that, that would be my thing, you know, like Nate uh, Bjorken on the hot seat after one year, even though he underperformed with that team is one year really, you know, a fair shake. And then also getting rid of him, you're, you know, you're starting over again. So just has to be taken into account. Um. Back to the Jerry Sloan point, I was going to say um, that's probably the last coach. Uh, maybe, maybe Phil Jackson, but more recently, I think Jerry Sloan is probably the last coach or players went to a team specifically to play for a coach. Can you think of anybody since that? Oddly enough, I've heard a lot of people really big on Quinn Snyder in Utah. I don't know that players have started going there, but for whatever reason, he has a great reputation. Yeah, and and, uh, Aaron says Popovich. Popovich is an odd one because, you know, he's won, what, five titles. Mm -hmm. But it didn't seem like a destination. I mean, they built through the draft, you know, and they they kept the core together and stuff, which, you know, thinking about that, it doesn't really make sense. I mean, a legendary coach. Yeah, and if you want to talk about giving out awards for best GMs. I mean, I don't even remember who the GM was for those Spurs teams. Man, he got a small market team to compete year after year after year after year. So it can be done. Well, they had that that continuity. I mean, yeah, they had the continuity. You know, we're going to build and develop our players and have success, which, you know, keeps them more more inclined to, to be there. So I think that's important for small markets. You know, Indy had Paul George. If they, if that could have worked out differently, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe they are there in a better spot, etc. So, I think that's the model for.
you, you talk about um, Jerry Sloan. I don't think anyone was really trying to go hang out with him either. Um, I mean, they had stalked him alone for years. There wasn't really anybody else joining that situation. Yeah, maybe it was more yeah, of a... Yeah. Go ahead. But I just think, you know, on the flip side, he was able to keep those guys there. Um, maybe the, they liked, you know, that continuity and stuff. And it, it's like Popovich, you know, the guys didn't want to leave. So I think that's almost as good as this guy attracting players and maybe even better, you know. Duncan and, and Ginobili, those guys knew the system and they knew what to do. Now. Yeah, but um, I think what you see now with all the coaches on the hot seat consistently is um, the coaches, like Jerry Salone, they're not winning the championship in the end of the day, at the end of the day. And you see LeBron there every year and – the Spurs won with Tim Duncan and Kawhi and David Robinson and <clears throat> it's Phil Jackson had Michael and then he had Shaq and Kobe. He can't always, people just don't rely on the coaches to be the reason that they win. It's the players always. And, and it's just, it's so much easier to throw the coach out the door to make the fans happy than it is to get rid of the players. Oh, I, I totally agree. 100%. I, I'm just trying to think of a way for small markets to be competitive with the Lakers that can sign Anthony Davis and attract him and keep him, et cetera. And that the continuity seemed to be the best, best way for Spurs jazz, even though they didn't win, you know, they were competitive all those years. Uh, so. Yeah. And I guess you could say it's easy for NBA teams and throw coaches out so fast because they can look at, you know, LeBron's team and say, well, it doesn't matter who his coach is. They go through, you know, one a year almost for him, and it doesn't matter. He was there every year, so. That's kind of why I think coaching is almost a relationship mediator more than an X's and O's guy. It comes down to the players, and it always has. And you look at the same thing with Golden State. You mentioned Mark Jackson. And Steve Kerr takes over, and they just kept improving like they were already doing. It's not like Steve Kerr really came in and did anything. He just let them be who they were. And without that leash of what they were used to, they were able to break out of their shell a bit more and become more of what they were. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that uh, it's kind of like the only way that the small market teams can get out of this is like through the draft they just happened to get lucky, kind of like Golden State. They got Steph, and they got Clay, and all these young players, and they just let them do whatever, and then they started building up from there. Now you're you're looking at teams like New Orleans with Zion. They're putting their whole focus into Zion Williamson. I mean, he's on ESPN. He's everywhere. They're just trying to have fun with him and market him while he's continuing to get better and getting other players interested and in joining him, and that's kind of – the only way that you can build up a team nowadays. I mean, the Nets, you wouldn't consider them like a large market, really. I mean, they, James Harden has to offer to buy play or buy playoff tickets for his fans. I mean, there's no way that you can consider them big market. But they just happen to be the exception to this rule. I think the only way you can do it nowadays is just having to get lucky through the draft, and go all in on that one player, like Luka or like Zion or someone like that. Yeah, so then maybe we should 
or NBA teams should maybe look more into, do we need to find the greatest coach of all time or should they put more effort into looking at scouting? Honestly, in my opinion, to to uh, make the gap smaller between big and small markets, and I don't know exactly how, maybe it's a league-wide um, a system basically to place a value on a player, but Blake Griffin going to Brooklyn for the minimum and able to leave a team, like maybe there should be some period he has to sit out. Uh, maybe it's based on a market value. You know, he's not a league minimum player. We just saw how valuable he is. He just had 18 and 14 uh, game one um, to form these super teams. Maybe there needs to be some kind of bracket that says, hey, you can leave, but you got to sit out two months, you know, whatever it is. Right. And maybe that prevents some of this teaming up. I don't know. But I think something really needs to be done as far as a competitive balance because the salary cap doesn't matter. Obviously, we see these guys signing for basically nothing. And the the whole point of the salary cap was to prevent, you know, these big teams. Right, and I have something to say, but go ahead and let Dan go first here. I mean, that's a great point, but how would you enforce that? Because, like, for example, LaMarcus Aldridge also tried to join, but he's obviously hurt, and he tried to do the exact same thing as Blake Griffin, but they got nothing out of it. And also there's, uh, who was it, DeMarcus Cousins tried to go to Golden State, for the same thing, but ended up not playing at all. So it's just, it's really tough to enforce any law or, I mean, any rule. I don't know. I just don't see how they could do that. It'd be right. great if they could enforce it somehow. I just don't see it happening. The yeah. only thing I could think is if there's like a holding period that, you know, you can't play for a couple months. You know, I don't know exactly, but. Right. Because oh, money wise, I... at the end of the day, you choose how much you want to play for. Right, and then exactly. they can dictate that. But maybe right. there's like a period where you know you're ineligible or something. I don't. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of a way to shorten the gap because, you know, yeah, I have a, a couple small ideas. team could have him. Oh, go ahead. A couple ideas, and this doesn't really help with free agency itself. I mean, we haven't seen that yet. I think. Well, we saw it with Demarcus Cousins when he was an unrestricted free agent and then went to Golden State for the minimum. That was probably the only weird exception we have but my my idea is, is one and maybe i have an idea to fix that too but for especially for the waving like when we buy out these players right before the deadline and then they sign for the minimum i think that they should the waivers should stay but for one if they clear waivers and nobody signs them then they have to go back to that team and they can't be released at least until the end of the year and if somebody does want to claim that player, they not necessarily have to pay. Like Blake was owed like $34 million this year and then gets bought out and signs for the minimum. I think that if the Nets wanted him, the Nets or any team, they would have to have been able to absorb that amount of money without going over the cap, whether they pay him that or not. But they should have had to have been able to have that amount of money under the cap. And then they could have paid the minimum off their books but they wouldn't even have the opportunity to sign him unless they would have had the cap room or he has to go back and finish the season with Detroit. And then they can go from there. My, my option to maybe help with the free agency signing is these players that want to sign for the minimum. I know it's, it's hard to say, Hey, you can't uh, play 
for less than this amount of money. And maybe we could introduce some kind of thing that the NFL does with the franchise tag where they're given an average amount of the starting position, something like that. What do you guys think on that? That's kind of, kind of what I was saying, like a market value based, based thing. And, you know, like the, the $30 million for Blake, maybe the Nets, even though they sign him for, you know, the minimum, maybe they pay the team that waived him, you know, some money. I don't even know if it has to be salary cap, but maybe that would be a prevention overall. It's not hitting my salary cap, but I still need to pay this team $30 million okay, for his yeah. services. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, not all teams have ample amount of money. I'm sure each owner's, some are more conservative than others. So maybe there's got to be some kind of, penalty or something yeah maybe we just need to get rid of the league minimum and just okay demarcus i don't know why i keep using him as the example but demarcus averaged 18 and 10 let's take the average salary of every 18 and 10 guy and that's his specific minimum there's a minimum for that statistic not just the minimum is 982,000 or whatever it is i mean and something like that also makes sense because I don't know, small, let's say Memphis wants DeMarcus Cousins. Okay. He would go there for $20 million a year or Golden State's a title, you know, contending team. He'll go there for a million. Like the competitive balance is just not in the NBA. To get the same player could be $15, $20 million difference, you know, if he's just going to chase the money or if he wants to win and and it's just not really. Yeah. Anybody got anything else to add to that? Any ideas on to even to balance out? I don't think that there's anything the NBA wants to do to balance it out because if the major market teams are getting all the good players and they're winning all the games, that's just helping the NBA even more. Like They don't really care about the, the mid-card teams and the, the lower-class teams. They have no reason to. And that's a good point, it's too. It's totally money-based. I mean, I totally yeah. agree. I'm just trying to think of it overall as, as a fan. and But at the end of the day, I mean, it's all money-based. So. Yeah, it's just that's just kind of how the word, world works, really. I don't know. It's tough because you want to root for the little guys. You'd love to see them win, but if the big teams are happy, the NBA is happy, just like Aaron said. And that's why we don't really – we don't sit here and hate on Giannis or hate on Dame like we do LeBron and KD for – doing what they always do even though they're all in the same class of athlete um it's just they're staying in their lower class teams and they could they could leave and join the winning teams join the teams that are always going to be there but they choose to stay and we kind of appreciate that the teams like the blazers and pacers really have a very small window of time through the draft to get a team that could win it all to have a chance to win it all ever they're not going to build their team through free agency ever yeah definitely um yeah which, that's definitely the reason that lebron gets to hate versus the other guys uh whether it's fair or not but we also uh you know i think maybe we might be seeing a, a new era in the nba um uh, where this might become a thing where i think there is more pride in staying with your team uh longer term especially now with the new rules where you you know the bird bird rule and these rookie max extensions that you can give out your own players to help stay where they want to go i mean they asked 
Luca, are you planning on signing, you know, your $200 million extension? And his response was just a giant smile. And I think, you know what I'm going to do. Um, yeah, I think that definitely helps, uh, especially for young talent. Now, as far as older talent, I don't think that they're going to be staying. I mean, I think they can uh, just chase. They, I mean, if they're not going to win where they've stayed for the last 10 years, they're obviously going to try to win a championship before they have to retire. That's just how it goes. I mean, look in the NFL, Tampa Bay became the first super team, really, and they just got everyone that they wanted, and they won a championship. So, I mean, that's just how it is, really. I think that's just the reality of what's going to continue to happen. Uh, There's going to be a couple young, exciting teams that maybe compete, but I think the teams that are going to be winning are the super teams, like the Nets this year, probably the favorites to win. I do think it's interesting. I think we're seeing oh, – I was just going to say, even as loyal of a player as Dame, you can see it wearing on him the early round playoff exits. And a guy that probably has no intention of wanting to leave, um, like, you know, LeBron chasing rings and it's always compared to Jordan. Well, what if he stayed in Cleveland and he had, you know, one title? He's not going to go down in the in, you know, where he is in the game compared to his five titles. So, you know, you look at Dame, wow, he has 50-point games and and all these different accolades. Well, he hasn't won any any titles. And unfortunately, you know, that's basically what you're kind of kind of graded on at the end of your career, which makes it really hard. But do you think let's say every single major player from the last decade. Let's say Bosch stays in Toronto, LeBron stays in Cleveland. We got Steph and his Warriors, you know, homegrown to the draft. Um, what if all these teams stayed, their players, and they're all competing as well as they're competing, and then LeBron wins one title, and then 20 years from now, because we do that now with the 90s, we say, oh, if it wasn't for Jordan, we'd have had, you know, Reggie would be more respected. Patrick Ewing would have had his titles. Stockton and Malone. 20 years from now, we could have said, yeah, LeBron only won one title, but he also had to fight against, you know, the Spurs dynasty. He had to fight against, you know, maybe Toronto would have done something because they could have had, you know, Carter and Bosch at that stage together. You know, could we have, would you think 20 years from now, we would have said, yeah, LeBron only got one title, but look at who he was playing against. Do you think we'd still be saying, yeah, he didn't win six, but you still think that's the case, Garrett? No, I I don't. I think it's totally about the numbers. I mean, if Jordan wins two titles, you know, and Malone wins two and this and that, I mean, I don't think Jordan is highly esteemed as winning, you know, three twice in a row. It's totally it. I mean, look at Charles, Reggie, Malone. They all get knocked because they have zero titles. You imagine LeBron if he only won one and he's supposedly, you know, this generational player like – People would be knocking him big time. Can you so I can, can you imagine Olajuwon if Jordan doesn't retire? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean he has he's a good great player, but you know no titles basically. But my I guess my argument is yeah, Bird not Bird. Jeez, where did that come from? Miller, Ewing, uh, Barkley, they do get that knock because they never won a title. But there's always you know, yeah, but it was Jordan. If Jordan wasn't there, those guys are winning titles, right? At least one. 
I think that's what separates Jordan from from those guys and right. You know, LeBron beating the Warriors, you know, down 3-1 makes him a legend. If he loses that and they say, "Well, he lost to Steph." I don't think that that really makes makes it a better case. I think it makes it worse maybe he beat one of the great teams. Um yeah, I mean, good points. It's hard to, you know, we're all we're playing what if right now, so yeah, it's hard. Um, but yeah, I mean, if we're going for rings and all that stuff, then yeah, LeBron definitely had to leave. He wasn't going to win in Cleveland with whatever Cleveland had going on. And that 2007 Finals team, first of all, had no business winning 66 games, let alone get to the finals. I think the point we're all trying to make is that Jason Kidd's not going to help any of these teams win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It. I just again, I don't know how much the coach matters. To be honest, it's in today's game. I, there's totally acceptance to the rule. Uh, there's always going to be coaches that help the team, and significantly. I mean, especially these older coaches that have been there a lot, a lot longer and they're really well-respected, it's tough to build that, but you just have to get that through experience, and Jason Kidd doesn't have that experience yet, so I don't know. Yeah, and I want to make one more point here before we start to wrap up. Um, The argument that a coach doesn't matter. Now, I want to throw a scenario at you guys, and then let me know that you see my point, or I'm just crazy, which that's probably the latter here. But the coach says, hey, you're coming in or coming out. Now, I know they're going to talk to LeBron, hey, do you want to come out? Whatever. That's that's fine. But the coach is going to be the one that says, okay, uh, Norman Powell, you come in right now at this moment for CJ McCollum. Or, you know, he's the one that's got to make a decision of I got to put these guys together on certain times. Or let's say, hey, I'm subbing this guy out. Do you really think a player is going to say no to his face on the court and there'd be a whole thing, which, hold on, breaking news, Tom Thibodeau, coach of the year. Speaking of coaches. Um, but I think the coach, instead of thinking more X's and O's, I think his is more strategy of this guy can be on the floor the same time as this guy. And I th- – and – um, there's no way a player is going to say, no, I'm not coming out and not listen to him in the end. I mean, they might argue, you know, on the bench, on the way back to the bench, but you, you, there's, I just want to be on sports for the next day. Oh, did you see, uh, this guy start yelling at whatever? It's going to look more, I think it looks more, or it's at least projected or something I'm looking for, but it, I think the player is going to get scrutinized more than the coaches if the players, you know, not listening to the coach. So I think that it's more of the coach's idea or the coach's job to put the right players in the right position to win and still make everybody happy. And I think that's why a coach is still important because they are still the decision maker when it comes to the end of the day. So do you guys, what do you guys agree with that, disagree with that, and what's your reasoning? I disagree a little bit. Um, I just look at the Clippers right now. Um, <clears throat> nobody there is listening to Ty Lue over Kawhi. It's just not happening. No one in their right mind is doing it, at least. That's that's how I feel. 
Kawhi's not really known for a vocal or being a vocal guy, though. I don't know if that's a great example. You think Kawhi's out there coaching the team? No, but I think behind doors, Kawhi and Ty Lue definitely talk about how they want the team to be ran. And I think that Ty Lue is just going to listen to what Kawhi has to say. Just like Vogel is going to listen to what LeBron is saying. Because if they don't, then they're going to be out of a job. Yeah, right. but and, yeah I, my, and I, I, I think agree with a lot that of 100%. behind the door coaching. I, think, I yeah. agree with that 100%. But my thing is they can talk about here's what I want to do as a game plan. And Ty Lue could 1,000% be on board. But it's also Ty Lue's job to execute that plan and to put the right players in at the right time and take the right players out at the right time. They have to know game to game, hey, uh, Terrence Mann is on fire tonight and Paul George is two for 19. Do I leave Terrence Mann in? Do I take Paul George out? I mean, obviously, that's not a very good scenario because they probably are going to put Paul George in hopes that he takes over. That is still a very tough decision that you got to make. Hey, do I make this superstar happy? Do I make Paul George happy and put him in, even though he's struggling, even though Terrence Mann is helping us win this game tonight? That's what I think the coaches are doing more nowadays than X, than what they have been doing. And that's why I think they're still important because they still have to make that decision. Okay, My- well... If, say, for example, Paul George was on a small market team and he's getting benched, he's going to want to leave right there. So it depends on the situation. But that's a different example. But I would say in today's game, it's a lot of game planning behind closed doors, like Thad said. My my point. All that kind of stuff going into every game, like who's coming out when, what time, how long. Uh, LeBron's minutes are like planned out every single game. He knows when he's coming in every second, what time he's going out. Like everybody knows that kind of stuff. And it varies from game to game based on fouls and who's hot and whatnot a little bit. And maybe the coach is a little bit better at adjusting for those minor details. And maybe that's what sets him apart. Maybe and I think that's, a, and I think that's the big deal. That's why I think I think that's a bigger deal than what people think it is, personally. And that's why I think coaching is still a big deal, um, because I still think that's a big part in helping a team win is having the knowledge to know, hey, this person's hot, this person's cold, this person's in foul trouble, this person plays better with this person. I think that is so important, still. And maybe that's just me. I mean, if you guys, you know, if you're thinking that's not, you know, a, a big key, then whatever, that's fine. That's that's just my opinion. I think the coach more than the strategy side is more about this guy's kind of cold, but I have to be more of a relationship coach knowing, hey, if I bench this guy, he's going to be ticked and maybe not play well the rest of the game or this guy's, you know, more of a team player. I think it's more about relationships and, and knowing attitudes, uh, how to how to, you know, motivate your players rather than uh, this guy, you know, is a little hotter tonight or whatever. And I guess we did see that with um, Luke Kennard in that series. I mean, he missed; he didn't play half two of the games, I think, and he came in, and I think he played really, really well. In game- um, yeah, I guess um, that's something that where I don't think we're going to be able to get to the bottom of, obviously. And if we did, we'd all be in the NBA, but. One thing I do want to touch on is we got a question 
uh, down in the chat from uh, Hurt Kenderson. I do want to ask you guys, because it's a solid question here. What happens if Tim Hardaway Jr. signs with somebody else and then Richardson does decide to opt out of that contract? Um, I'll start and say I think that's best-case scenario for Dallas because that gives them all that flexibility and cap to go elsewhere. What do you guys think? And Hurt, go ahead and chime in with uh, your answer, too. I think there's no way in the world that Josh Richardson opts out if Hardaway Jr. signs somewhere else. I don't think so, either. I I personally think that if they lose Tim Hardaway Jr., it's awesome that Richardson opts out because that gives them 11 extra million dollars, almost 12 extra million dollars to go spend somewhere else. I really think that the Mavs would be crazy to let uh, Tim Hardaway leave. I think he's 17, 18 mil a year, which seems like a a bargain to me. I mean, he's a solid player. He played decent in the playoffs. I I think they would try to keep him. It's- I, I think they should keep him too, 100%. But I think the problem is uh, he's going to get more than that 17, 18 million dollars a year. I think he's going to be looking at more than 24, 25. And I don't see Dallas paying that much money, especially if they got to give Richardson $12 million. I think if they both leave, if they're both out, Dallas is number one to go get Doug McDermott. They've had him before. I think they'd like Yeah, and Doug's someone you can get, you know, for the amount of money that you're paying. Uh, uh, what's his name? Richardson. Um now, I think I don't think Doug's going to sign anywhere near twelve million. I think he'll get ten million a year for a couple of years. I think he showed that he's worth that this year. Um, but yeah, any anybody got any more comments on that? All right, uh, so I want to go ahead and start wrapping things up. We've been on here for an hour and a half, which is uh, way better than I would have ever expected it to go, and I uh, hope we can do this again soon. But real quick, before we get off, we have uh, tipped off here. I haven't had the TV on. It was supposed to be a 7.30 tip. We know how that goes. Uh, We got game two, Milwaukee, uh, Brooklyn. James Harden is out uh, with tightness in the hamstring. I feel like um, maybe Brooklyn's hiding something. Maybe not. He was out with uh, that injury uh, from a whole month of April, May. Um, So what do you guys, real quick, tonight's game, game two, Brooklyn. uh, Milwaukee is Brooklyn in trouble. Aaron, we'll start with you. Oh, hey, sorry, I wasn't really here. Um, what's the question? <laughs> Milwaukee, Brooklyn, who you got tonight, game two? Oh, Brooklyn, easy. I don't think it's even a matter without that Harden. Harden. Without Harden, I mean, they won without him the first game. Okay. Uh, Danny? I think that probably the Nets win again, but I would hope that Milwaukee can even up the series today. All right, Garrett? I think the Nets will win. I don't know the severity of Harden's injury, but they have the luxury of benching him with two other superstars. So I'm not worried about the injury, and I don't think that will be Yeah. Um, Mike James and uh, Blake Griffin went 7 of 18 from 3 themselves. So, yeah, that bench is more than capable of hitting the outside shot. 
um, for Durant or Kyrie to penetrate. That who you got? Uh, definitely the Nets. I think between Durant, Kyrie, and Blake, uh, they're dropping 80 points combined. And I think the Nets win in five. That was my next question. Do you think, uh, if especially if Milwaukee loses tonight, do you think Milwaukee still gets a game? Garrett? I think Milwaukee will win a game at home or something, but just looking at the Nets with Harden, I mean, if you're thinking, naming the top five pure scorers probably in NBA history, Durant and Harden are on a lot of those lists. And then with an elite ball handler, some say maybe none of the best ever. I mean, the team the team is crazy, not counting Blake, you know, and, and the other guys. So I just think they're a really great team, and I don't see people. All right, so nobody sees Brooklyn coming out of this series. Or Milwaukee, sorry. The only I, way I can see it is if, I mean, Drew Holiday, the reason they got Milwaukee got him was for defense, so they could shut down the point guard. And uh, he's going to have to shut down Kyrie or James. I mean, if James comes back, but definitely Kyrie today. And I don't see it happening, personally. Aaron, real quick, one more thing for this matchup. I was just saying, I think I think Milwaukee could win a couple games. I think they could sneak out game four. I think they're I think they're a good chance to win. I don't think they'll go down 3-0. I just don't think Giannis will let them. Um, but I think the key with them having a chance at all in winning the series, Giannis has to make his free throws, and he's got to knock down the threes. Yeah, I think it's Brooklyn and six. Go ahead, Garrett. I agree. I, I mean, agree. Brooklyn and six. Okay. Garrett. The Bucks. The Bucks brought in Drew Holiday for, like Dan said, defense, and Kyrie had twenty-five and and eight or whatever. And yeah, it looked like he could turn it on whenever he wanted. I I just think they're overmatched. Not that the Bucks are bad. I think the Nets are. All right, and then tonight, ten o'clock, we got Game One, uh, Phoenix and Denver. Um, I'm going to throw a stat at you real quick. Uh, in their matchups this season, DeAndre Ayton held Jokic to 37% shooting and was one of the best defenders against Jokic. Now we have the uh, playoff version of Jokic going against Ayton, who's had a fantastic playoff series so far. So game one, uh, tell me what you are looking for and who do you, who do you think the X factor is going to be in game one? Aaron, go ahead and go first again. I think it's exactly what you said. I think Aiden is the X factor, but I think this is the this is the round. I think he overachieved in round one. He's just he's a little young. He's not ready to face Jokic in the playoffs, and Jokic is still feeling a little sour. Dan, uh, I think that uh, it's going to be tough to contain Jokic, but uh, I mean he he's probably going to do like you said, maybe the best that he can against him, maybe the best in the league. You said he's. Defend him best in the league. I don't know that. I haven't looked up the stats, but I would say he'd do a little bit better than Portland could. Okay, Garrett? I love Jokic's game, but I think Aiden has greatly improved, and I don't think Jokic has enough help missing Murray. Uh, Rivers seems like more of a role player, in my opinion. Uh, the point guard can pause or whatever. I, he's whatever for me. And I think Booker is on a tear. He's carrying that team right now, and and I think this, it's the Suns too. That uh, comment on Austin Rivers isn't a, a Knicks dig, is it? 
I mean, he's a solid player, but you know, he's not a he's a bench player in my opinion. That they have I agree, to hit I agree, Murray, I agree. I Murray's agree. hurt, and I mean, look at the Suns killing it. Chris Paul's nine points a game. I mean, Booker's on a tear. Like Chris Paul could turn it up if he needs to. I I just think the Suns are real. Dean McGarrett and that. <laughs> what? I was just gonna say two words, Chris Paul. There you go. That's the X Factor. I mean, he did nothing in the first series, and they won. I mean, I know Lakers were hurt, but. Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> Lakers would have had to Chris Paul if they were healthy. Yeah, Chris Paul hurt. Chris Paul's been hurt every playoffs. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> That's a topic for a different Bro, day. He was, a for a different day. He's That's still a whole podcast. Like- Okay. Okay. He still okay. played like thirty minutes a game. Suns so and five. Yeah. If I got a question, I Go got ahead. a question pertaining to the Suns. If the Suns win this series, do you see them making to the championship game or championship series? I personally think the Suns are the best team left in the playoffs aside from Brooklyn. So yes, I think it's going to be Brooklyn and Phoenix. I don't, I don't like Utah Jazz. I don't know what it is about them. I just, I think it's because of the Jazz. The West. I think the Suns are the best team in the. Yeah, I really like the Jazz if they're not the one seed. I think uh, if I think I take the Jazz in this matchup over the Suns, and I, I think I take the Nuggets too. I think I take the Nuggets in five. I don't think that there's any question in my mind that they're. You're saying Nuggets in five over the Suns. Are you saying the Jazz are going to lose this round also? I'm con- Oh, yeah. The Jazz are going to lose against the Clippers for sure, and the Nuggets are going to win, and it's just going to be Clippers-Nuggets, and it's going to be fun. Clippers-Nuggets, okay. Okay. I think Here. Booker is nuts and can score 50 when he wants to. I really, I think it's the Suns to lose. As much as I, I admire Jokic, I think he's a heck of a player, but – Booker's firepower, I think, is a different. I think I think and, Michael and Porter. If the Nuggets had Murray. If the Nuggets had Murray, yeah, with Porter, I think they would have the firepower. But that's just a glaring loss to me. I mean, Rivers can score twenty five, or he can score, you know, six. You know, you he'll know. he'll average four in the series. That's what I'm saying. You just don't know. And one of those games, he'll have twenty five. You know, that's what. That's just my opinion. He's just a role. That's why yeah. I have. That's how I, I have the Nuggets in five instead of four. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I got I got two more questions here. Two quick ones. Uh, we're we're gonna start with Thad this time. Work way back around Thad Garrett, Dan Aaron, and I want to know. Uh, give me one player on the Suns that is going to need to step up. That's not named Booker, Paul, or Aiden in order for the Suns to pull this out. Say Chris Paul. I think you're just gonna have to get more out of Chris Paul in the series. Uh, I know he's injured, but we're just gonna have to have a little bit better. Sorry. So you, there's nobody else on that team that needs to step up. You think uh, those three alone are gonna be enough to carry him out? I think Jay Crowder can do a lot of dirty work and also can hit some threes. That you know, he's kind of one of those unsung players that. He, he rattled LeBron a little bit. If you yeah, like, I wouldn't even yeah. say he needs to step up. He's just keep doing what you're doing, really. I mean, yeah, they're doing right. fine. All the all the yeah. role players have been playing pretty well, honestly. Yeah. Frank the Tank. I was just, I was Frank, just the tank. Frank the Tank. Frank the Tank. Commence coming <laughs> through. 
And Jay Crowder needs to hit those. He's, he gets wide open threes constantly throughout the game. He cannot make any of them. It drives me insane. He plays great defense. That's the only reason he's out there right now, though. If he can hit those threes and he can play that defense on Michael Porter Jr. that he was playing on LeBron, there's a really good chance, I think, that the Suns could actually win some games. I mean, that's my point. He doesn't even have to hit the threes. I think he makes a difference getting the loose balls I, and getting I think in this series he'll have to make those threes. Well, I think that, yeah, those threes, if he steps up and hits those, I mean, the Suns, I mean, who do you stop? It's just... Yeah, I want to add, I think Cameron Payne also, he looked awful, I thought, in that last series. That and if Composo can, well, if Composo can make him look the way he did last series, I don't see how the Nuggets don't outscore the bench by 20 points every game. Yeah, uh, I was going to say campaign as well. Maybe not so much this series, just because the depth is not great for Denver in the backcourt. But yeah, campaign is going to be my pick. Uh, even Michael Bridge, Mikael Bridges. Um, That's what I was going to say. Mikael Bridges maybe needs to step up. He only had nine points in this last series per game. I don't know. Yeah, he's out. There, he's out there for defense. But if he can hit those threes, then it's there's not a lot they can do. All right. Um, my second question, and I think this was, I think this might be an easy one, but besides uh, Jokic, who's the big guy that needs to step up for Denver, and I'll start and say Michael Porter Jr., but I think that's probably the consensus. Am I right, Aaron? More important for Denver besides Jokic is probably just going to be Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, especially with somebody else. That- without Jamal Murray, it has to be Porter. The way he played last series, I mean, just in that, that final game alone, he just showed signs of being the next guy. I mean, he 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 looked like he could outplay Jamal Murray when he comes. Dan? Yeah, 100%. He's one of those guys that could score 30 points or give you eight points. You know, it's really tough. He's night and day. It just really depends on him, I'd say. And that's why I think that it's going to be maybe they'll get two wins tops because I don't see it happening. Uh, Garrett, MPJ, or somebody else? I would like to pick somebody else, but I don't know who. So I'll go with him. <laughs> yeah. Bad. Uh, yeah. Michael Porter Jr., I mean, I want to say Aaron Gordon, but he hasn't really done yeah, anything, I, to be honest. I, think I like Aaron. Aaron I like up. Aaron Gordon a lot. But let's be honest, he's not going to be a series changer for that team. Nope. All right. Well, anybody got any last? I will say. Uh, Go ahead. I will say real quick, Morris had a couple of nice games. Oh, yeah. He was hitting the three and stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, MPJ. Yeah. All Sun, right, guys. Suns and six. Sun, Garrett? I, you think I, that uh, – I don't – I like the Suns in six, and I just want to say I'm excited, even though I'm a Knicks fan. Um, if I'm thinking correctly, the last team still in the playoffs was the Sixers to win a title, like 83. Yeah, yep. so we're going to have, gonna have some new, a new. Yep. Speaking of the Sixers, do you think uh, the Hawks actually have a shot, or do you think game one was a fluke? Oh, we might need to say that. Oh, that game was incredible. A little bit of a preview for the next next time. Yeah, definitely. I you mean, guys get, we save your comments on that. That'll be a good one. We got to talk about that because I got I got some stuff to say about Trey Young and this new generation. So, all right, sounds good. Aaron, I'll get my quick, notes ready. Projection for the series. 
Oh, you already said it. Nuggets. Yeah. Yeah, Nuggets and Five. Don't make unless, say Nuggets unless... and Five again. We don't want to hear it. Let me say Nuggets <laughs> and Five. It gives, me, it gives me a reason to watch the series. <laughs> Let me check uh, the NBA schedule real quick here. Uh, by the way, uh, the game just tipped. Nets are up 3 nothing. Scoreboard. It's over. Uh, yeah, Hawks Sixers tomorrow at 7.30. So uh, I'm going to plan on being on here. That's the only game tomorrow. Nope, I lied. Game one, Clippers Jazz. So yeah, I'm going to plan on being here probably same time tomorrow. We can talk some uh, Sixers Hawks and Clippers Jazz. And I'm sure I'll think of a uh, heading topic to discuss as well. So save all your thoughts for that. I just want to say uh, I have eight gyms, and the next one on here is only two, so it looks like I win today. Yeah, Dan. Dan, got... he kept leaving. He kept leaving the room and coming back. Dan, that's because you didn't know how to work the app. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I get it. You, you, you got a gym every time you leave the conversation and come back. Yeah, a little, I'm really? a little under the weather, so <laughs> sorry. Dan and sorry. Dan and Dan five. five. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right good guys. Talking, boys. See ya. Uh, got a podcast here. It's all recorded. We'll get it published, and uh, we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, Dave. Yep. See ya.